My name is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. I'm a global connector, networking concierge, and coach. For two decades, I believed that my ADHD was a disability. Only at the age of 41 would I come to realize that my ADHD was an incredible asset, and when I leaned into that, I achieved greater success than ever before. ADHD is the engine behind my own success as a networker and coach. Over the past few years, I've spoken with thousands of entrepreneurs and found that many of them have some kind of neurodiverse diagnosis, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, and more. Like me, for many of them, their neurodiversity is indeed the very source of their success. On this show, we will change the narrative on neurodiversity. I've heard enough about the challenges and how hard it can be. I want to hear about how awesome we are. It's time to start talking about how our neurodiversity can be an asset for ourselves, our communities, and our businesses. It's time to start talking about neurodiversity superpowers. Welcome to the Neurodiversity Superpowers Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. And the purpose of this show is to flip the narrative on neurodiversity and the neurodiversity superpowers. So often we hear about the challenges, and there are challenges, but we don't often focus enough on how it makes us really freaking awesome. So I've got one of these really freaking awesome guests here, Jennifer Mason of Gen X Comedy. So she's a Berkeley-educated acupuncturist who suddenly turned stand-up comic at the age of 50. Just walking down the street, just boom, stand-up comic, like you do. Jennifer found unexpected confidence and joy in finding her voice after divorce. Now she helps midlife women and other unlikely comedians to be bolder, marketable, and more memorable speakers through stand-up comedy. So welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you so much. I feel so at home in a neurodiverse podcast. Nice. Yeah, I noticed your background. You got like that Sutler's of Catan and a couple <laughs> other awesomely geeky things. Oh yeah, yeah. We we have a uh, we have a D and D group that's been going for a while. I am a gnome sorcerer named Fizzles. Nice. Love it. Yeah, that's a great thing with the videos. I can see what's in the background. Of course, you can't see what's in my background because it's a green screen. But that's what I have. In a New York penthouse. I'm, I'm disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a tower in the internet. You can see there's some internet buildings back there. Yeah. Um, all the people listening on audio are like, what are they talking about? Get on with the talky stuff. All right. So let's get to the questions. First standard question is describe how you are successful. Oh, okay. Chance to brag. Um, well, I, I graduated from Berkeley and, um, and then I went on to travel the world teaching English. I lived in Taiwan and Beijing um, I got my master's in traditional Chinese medicine and I became an acupuncturist and, um, and, uh, and then at, at the age of 50, I decided to go up into stand-up comedy and now I produce a monthly show called the sofa King funny show. And I've trained a lot of normal off the street people to become stand-up comics. I was just on the second one of those shows that was sponsored by one of my students. So now they've gotten confident enough to do their own shows, which is super sweet. And I've been in um, festivals and competitions, and um, it's a blast. And, and you say it's the Sofa King Funny show? Yeah, because all of my comics are Sofa King Funny. Love it. Yes, because nothing is as funny as the king of sofas. So describe <laughs> how you are neurodiverse. Well, um, I am always thinking of 15 things at once. My conversations tend to kind of um, splinter off like, um, you know, like a tree. 
Um, <laughs> I use numbers and names and cardinal directions. Like, uh, I don't, <laughs> it's, you know, something is five or it's 500 or it's 5,000. Anyways, it was big. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think, um, I, I struggle with time and money and, um, and, 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 and finding details. So I, um, I, I've carefully moved my camera so you can't see my pile of papers that I haven't started yet because I have so many ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you think I have a green screen instead of an actual background behind me? <laughs> I definitely know what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, this, this is the second, I'm not sure where this will land in the order of actual released episodes. This is the second episode recorded. Um, and the first one went over and the second one, I got a timer running next to me. I don't know what it's going to say when we're done. I'm aiming for 25 minutes. We'll see what happens. Um, but so, and of course our third standard question is, so we know how you are, are different and unique. We know how you are successful. How has the neurodiversity led to your success? Uh, I honestly think that ADHD people are the most interesting, right? I don't understand. I'm not really sure how neurotypical people think. How can you only have one thought at a time? That that doesn't seem, well, it doesn't seem fun. So uh, I, I think that um, for traditional Chinese medicine, we're thinking on different levels at the same time right? We're thinking about what the person looks like, but also what they're presenting, but also what their pulse looks like, but also what the time of the day is. And so we're thinking on eight different levels. And I think that um, for that reason, a lot of acupuncturists I've met are, I think, um, ADHD, because because we have to think on different levels. And that's the only way. So it's it's holistic, right? Um, I also, I also uh, ADHD people tend to enjoy novelty and uh, because we're thinking of so many things, maybe because we learn things very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why I've, um, I became a traveler in my, in my twenties. I traveled overseas. I learned how to teach English and I just loved picking up new cultures, new cuisines, new phrases. Uh, so I think, I think that ADHD, um, helps you to, to, to embrace the newness. I like it. Yeah. I, I've, I have read that one of the, the neurological parts of ADHD is, I don't know, it's fewer dopamine receptors. So they need more dopamine, something like that, but that, that new experiences are one of the things that create the, the dopamine that give that, that hit. Uh, and so that can come out all kinds of different ways for me as a, as a networker, I network the way I do because I love, you know, the new experiences, meeting new people satisfies the need for, for the dopamine. Some people it's more negative, you know, so they, um, chronic cheating or addiction or things like that. But if you do it, if you do it positively, like traveling, like meeting people, like learning new things, um, then it can be, can be very powerful. Actually, you know, your, your game shelf reminds me, I had this, this idea, which I don't think is workable, but I really like it is you take something like Dungeons and Dragons, but instead of classes, you have neurodiversities. So you have a team of, <laughs> of uh, you know, a dyslexic, an autist, a um, ADHD. Uh, someone's got, uh, I, I don't know, bipolar, and, and so each one brings their superpowers to it. Um, you know, the, the the bipolar party member, you need to do something, and so they can work for three days straight, um, and they get the thing done, and then they go lie down in a dark room for three more days to recover from it. Um, and the, you know, they're following the blueprint that the autistic party member built for them because they can see the system in the process. And, uh, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so either a role-playing game or a book, one of those. 
Yeah, I could see that, you know, kind of like um, I could see a, a like a friends like thing where each one has a different that would be kind of fascinating, right? You know, mm. Phoebe's uh, manic, manic depressive and uh, Chandler's got the uh, autism and yeah, that would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, the more I see with, with, the, with the positive side, cause for the longest time I saw my ADHD's disability cause I couldn't, I couldn't buckle down enough to get a job. I couldn't keep a job. I mean, I could keep them, but I got bored and I left and um, I couldn't get the good ones. And, and I realized by bouncing from job to job, you learn the most in the first three months. So mm. I developed 70 years of experience in 20 years because I, I keep joining organizations and getting jobs and working here and doing that and doing this. And my wife for the longest time was like, you're bouncing from place to place. That is not how you do a career. And it's true. Cheater. It's not. That's why I started a business because now in my business with my, my power five podcast, I answer business questions in five minutes or less because I know five minutes about almost anything because I've been <laughs> everywhere because I don't focus. I can't pick a lane. I'm all over the place. And that's, you know, that, and that's allowed me to kind of lean in, you know, lean into my business. Um, and so you have leaning into a business. So what led you to get into stand-up comedy at 50? Um, well, I want, I want to say, I want to say two more things about how, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, this is a non-linear interview. Because, uh, I, well, I love meeting people, but I forget names and I know, I know there's techniques for it, but I just get so, um, nervous about me remembering the names that I don't, but that's made me extremely friendly. I, cause I'm always afraid that I already know people. So I approach people as if we know each other just to, uh, just to make, sh- to split the difference. And the other thing I want to say is that, um, I think every female comedian that I've met, um, I think female comedians talk, we talk more, uh, freely, I guess, with each other, but almost every female comedian I've met is ADHD. Mm-hmm. It may, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure if it's a prerequisite for being a, fe- a comedian, but I think it helps because when you kind of hold things lightly and you're thinking about something else and then bam, you see how they come together, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of what co- comedy is a lot of uh, unexpected mashups. Mm. So I think that the, I'm not sure I, so when I got diagnosed with ADHD, I told the doctor, I'm like, okay, I think I have it. I'm okay with it. I don't want it to go away. Cause then I think I can't do comedy anymore. And I think that my life is interesting and I like it that way. So I will try this, this medicine, but if it takes away the ADHD, then I'm not taking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when were you diagnosed? Uh, I was just diagnosed um, earlier this year. So like six months ago. Okay. So I suspected it. I mean, I, um, my, I learned a lot about ADHD and, um, ASD because my kid was having problems in school and this kept Mm -hmm. coming up and I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) My kid has energy. I feed him vegetables. What, you know? (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, he, he talks back to the teachers, but he's right. Um, have you considered the school might be boring? Yes. The school, I went into the classrooms and, and, oh my gosh, what they, they expect you just to sit there for the longest time in second grade. And I had to pull out my phone cause it was so boring. But, um, when I would meet with the school administrators and they're like, oh yeah, we want him. Uh, he, he is diagnosed with ADHD and it's clear where it came from. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> now it makes sense. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I I'm very lucky that we have a uh, I guess a progressive school. So our public schools, they, they, they don't expect the second graders to sit in their desks all day. They have, they have different stations in the room. They move around, they work in teams. They, they change it up every, I think 40 minutes or something. So 
the crazy idea. How about we study how children actually function and then build the school around that instead of building a school and then forcing children into it. Right. Wouldn't that have been great when we were kids too? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I ended up going to private school because I, I did not, uh, public school didn't really agree with me in the younger years. Not so much. Um, so, so, uh, what, what made you get into stand-up comedy? Well, um, I, as, as we said before, I'm, I'm a licensed acupuncturist. That's what I've trained in. I love it. Um, but when I got divorced, uh, from my non ADHD husband, um, I I knew that I had to be braver. And so I kind of dared myself to do something where I had a bigger voice and I started at improv. And then I went, I just saw myself doing stand up on my 50th birthday. So I signed up for a class and, um, and it totally worked. Uh, even though stand up comedy is terrifying. Mm. Yeah. I, I've, so I, I love speaking. I love getting on stages. Um, I'm somewhat funny and people tend to laugh like when I want them to, not just at me. Um, but I've never actually done comedy. And I have heard that there are things about comedy as a speaking style different from just speaking and occasionally having funny things in your speech. What is it, what is it that makes comedy comedy as a, a speaking discipline? Well, I honestly think that comedy makes everything better. So mm. I think you are doing comedy. If people are laughing, then you have a little comedy, but you're just using it as a smaller spice rather than as the main course. Mm-hmm. So as a stand-up comedian, we're aiming for a laugh. You, you, you measure the laughs per minute. Um, and I'm aiming for, you know, like a, a laugh every six seconds, but to be funny in, in life, you know, a laugh every 30 seconds is amazing. So mm-hmm. So what, what we do as comedians is, and what I teach people to do is, is you find the, the parts of your life, the ordinary parts of your life. And then we just talk about it in a funny way. Okay. And, and the things that are the funniest are, um, are the awkwardness, our flaws. So, so it's that flipping that, that switch of, instead of trying to look really perfect, um, we're going to find that the most awkward thing about us and, and highlight that which is um, uncomfortable at first, but then it has big payoffs because everybody has flaws. And when you call them out, they really, um, they identify with you. And, and then when you're making fun of yourself, it looks like you're really confident. Mm. I should definitely do more stand-up or get into stand-up comedy then because the flaws part I'm totally comfortable with. In fact, <laughs> as part of my coaching work, I, I find it's much more valuable to share, like, here's where I am, here's what's going well. Because I started having people come to me and just assuming before I had a six-figure business, they assumed I had one. So they'd be like, oh, yeah, we're going to a retreat down in such and such. The tickets are only $3,000. You should come with us. And I'd be like, but they assume because I was giving off this this aura of like, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. And, and so... So part of it was so, as I didn't want people to discover. So I'd be like, here's where I am. Here's what I'm doing. You know, when I was driving Uber last year, I shared it because, but also if people think I'm some, you know, multimillionaire, like lucky white guy, then they say, I can't learn anything from him. Whereas right. if I'm honest, then they say, oh, I didn't realize he had that. So I, like, if I'm having a bad day, I make a point of recording a Facebook live and being like, hey, just want to share this. Cause like I have bad days. I'm doing it right now. Just letting you know. I look like I'm smiling because cameras make me smile, but <laughs> actually having a bad day. So. Yeah. So with um, <clears throat> one, one reason why, another reason why I think that comedy is useful is because if you are having a bad day and it's, it's bad, 
um, people might feel sorry for you, or they might, they might feel it so deeply that they have trouble watching it without feeling bad themselves. Mm -hmm. So with comedy, we can throw in a few unexpected emotional responses or a few, um, kind of zany comparisons just to lighten the mood a little bit, you know, which is kind of like watching the daily show or something, you know, there's some serious things there, but then there's also some dog jokes or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so using the comedy to deliver the message, um, deliver the serious message, but in a more comfortable, less oppressive sort of way. A spoonful of comedy helps the depressing message go down. Mm, Yes, definitely. Um, and I, I have noticed, um, one thing with comedy too, is it kind of bypasses the rational. So, so I've seen people use jokes sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose, um, as I don't want to say a manipulation tool, but a way that you'll make someone, cause sometimes people accept the premise of the joke because it's the premise of the joke. And then they forget to unaccept the premise of the joke. Mm. And so they'll accept some basis like, you know, this politicians are uh, dishonest or this person's a liar or this type of people are lazy because it's the premise of the joke. And then they walk away still thinking those people are lazy, um, which is, which is why things like racist jokes can be so dangerous because they can embed those ideas. Um, But I, I I do see the comedy can be very powerful in the, um, in persuasion. Well, I think stand-up comedians are, I mean, we don't, talk about this very much, but I think we are master manipulators. We Mm -hmm. are making ourselves likable so that you will come along with us on this journey of our, of our point of view. Um, So that's why I, I really only will teach people who only punch up. So Mm. I don't, I don't, um, I also think that racist jokes, homophobic jokes, um, rapey jokes, um, they're just not, they don't play well. They don't yeah. reflect well on you. And if you're doing business, that's not. Yeah. That's, yeah. But, but people just don't like them anymore. They're not coming across as funny. But if you can punch up, if you can punch up at um, Elon Musk or um, mm-hmm. uh, people with more power, then and you can punch a little bit at yourself, mm-hmm. then that shows you don't take yourself seriously. And then everything is easy. Yeah. That makes- and, I, and I do think that if we can... Um, I mean, that's, that's my secret goal is to help people who have a message to change the world for the better to, because otherwise, you know, if you're just ranting and like, so depressed and hurt, then you, you can't, nobody wants to listen to you. Yeah. If you can just put a little bit of positivity, even if it's a silly gag at the end, um, then maybe your message will get more traction. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, and I've, I've, I've seen that a lot, you know, again, the coaching side you have people who they internalize all this negativity and they're always just spraying that out. And, um, and those tend to be the people who are like, this is not funny. This is, this is not appropriate for humor. And to, to which I'm like, then that means that's definitely a place when you're making jokes right there. That's a, that is the place for it. Uh, but you know, those people, as I try to help them, because one of my missions is helping bring people with me. Like I've found success. I know what I've done. I can to some degree, see someone to replicate it. And the people who are most resistant are the ones who are just, bathed in negativity uh, and they can't, they can't get out of their own way. You know, mm-hmm. I'll tell them how to do it. They're like I can't find a job. Well, here's how you find a job. And they'd be like, I can't find a job. Did you do anything? I told you no. Well, have you considered following any steps to action? But, but yeah, you know, whereas humor, if you're looking for that positive, if you're looking for that, 
you know, where is, where is the funny in it? I feel like that's a, a form of agency and a form of control. I think there's also ways to make things funny without making the person or the issue, the butt of the joke. I mean, if we're talking about something very serious, let's say global warming, we don't have to be like, it's a joke, but we can make fun of an aspect of it, maybe um, a misconception of it, or maybe something personal. You know, you, you have, um, I personally can't wear sun hats because my head is too big. So maybe, maybe I'll, um, that's, that's the big thing about global warming for me is like, I just, I look terrible in hats. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can talk about the real things, but then also just bring up the hats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I can even see where that joke would be. Be like, no, I'm really worried about global warming. I really need to stop because I can't wear a sun hat. My head is too big for a sun hat. So we need to do something about this. This is really important, guys, because I can't keep carrying around an umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I look silly with an umbrella. So like, that's why it's important. Um, yeah. And, and again, you use the comedy to derail the, con you know, we're not talking about, well, well, is the economy more important than the sea life more important than the, no, no, my hat, my hat's what's important. That's what I care about is my head. I think you can also, you could go a little bit. I mean, just like the, the comedy news channels, you know, go, go into the sea life, show us the bar graphs and then bring back the hat. So yeah. we're not left there. Yes. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that, that's sort of the important too, talking about the emotional flow. Cause, because uh, if you take people down, then they're in a low energy state and they'll be like, well, guess we're just going to die then. Mm. Right. Right. And you have to bring them back to a high energy state to be like, all right, and action. I, I think yeah, you see that sales process too, if done wrong, because you should bring people down to like, here's your, your pain point. And you have to bring them out of the pain point. So they're ready to take actions. If you leave them in the pain point, they're just like, yeah, that does suck. <laughs> we can solve it. Nah, it sucks too much. I can't fix it. It's too, it's too horrible. And then they're left with a, I don't like talking to this guy. It feels bad. Yes. Yep. Yeah, people remember how it, People remember how you make them feel more than the things you've said. So excellent. Now, so, so is, now that I understand you teach comedy. Yes. The comedy uh, course. I have two comedy courses um, and the new one is comedy for business, which is the one that teaches entrepreneurs how they can use a little bit of comedy to lighten difficult topics, but also to put their personality out there. So they're not trying to be somebody they're not because we don't all have to look like real estate agents, you know, <laughs> uh, they are very attractive. Um, and, uh, and then they get their personality out there. So the audience feels like they know them. Mm. So it's a bit, way to be authentic. Yeah. I can see that being, I can see it being a very powerful tool if people are not comfortable doing that. So um, now, would that happen to be attached to the free gift that you have? Oh, thanks so much for, yes, I have a gift for everybody. It's my three ways to find your funny. I, I'm an author. I have an ebook. Um, and, uh, and it's a, a little, a little, little form. You put your email in it, it comes right to your inbox and it's filled with, um, examples and action steps that you could take right away to put into your business messaging. Nice. And of course, the link for that is in the show notes, assuming that between the recording and when I release this episode, I get that link. Um, and, and of course, the link to your uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are also there. And they're all Gen X comedy, except for one is Gen X comedy SD. That's so. true. My Instagram is Gen X comedy SD. And if Gen X comedy on Instagram wants to give me her site, I would totally take it. But yeah. <laughs> if I ever meet that Gen X comedy, her site is mine. Yeah. Uh, actually, if I, you know, Instagram, uh, I don't have an Instagram account 
that anyone can know about because <laughs> so about five years ago, Nigerian scammers decided I was very attractive and no good, for, good for romance scams. Yes, there are. If you go on my Facebook page, it's a friend's lock, but if you connect me on Facebook, you'll see it. Um, over 50 screenshots of fake Facebook profiles. Um, there's in my face, different names, people living on uh, oil rigs, um, you know, all hilarious names. Um, but they had a bunch of fake Instagram accounts. And I believe the fake Instagram, Instagram accounts report my real account and get my real account booted off the platform. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. My face also shows up in uh, words with friends, fake accounts in uh, plenty of fit, any, any dating site you can think of. And, I thought you looked familiar. Yeah. And, yeah. They, they use it. Yeah. Yes. So, so someone who looked like me approached you and then told you a sob story about like their daughter needs a plane ticket to get surgery. And so could you send me $3,000 of iTunes gift cards? Oh my uh, God. That's, that's them. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole, whole thing they do over there with these, these fake profiles and the romance scams. They go after vulnerable. Um, it's not funny, but it's really funny. Uh, you know, they, they go after these you know, vulnerable old, old women who are lonely or senile or whatever, and kind of trick them into handing over their money. Uh, and they'll, they'll take them for, thousands of dollars sometimes. So for a while, I was like, these guys are making more money off my face than I am. Maybe I should just run romance scams because I'm me. I can do it better than they can. But in a twisted way, it's a compliment about your face. Yeah. I'm, I just have that kind of honest face that makes you want to send me lots of money. And I just have to figure out how to make people send me lots of money. Hey, send me lots of money. (laughs) That'll work, but we'll try it. So, but yeah, so that's my Instagram story. So if you think having to put two letters after your name is bad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now we we put it in perspective. Um, Speaking of perspective. um, So if someone is listening to this who has ADHD and is, is perhaps not finding it as a superpower for them, maybe it's giving them trouble finding a job, whatever. um, What would your advice be to someone who has ADHD out there in the world on how to find their own superpowers? Hmm. Well, um, I know we're not talking, we weren't talking about struggle so much, but there was a time when I was in a corporate job and it involved a lot of spreadsheets and very boring meetings during which I would sketch. I would sketch the the different people in the room and try not to let that be known. And I went to my, uh, my GP and I said, what I think I need to be treated. And she said, Jennifer, any job that you need to be treated for to do is not a great job for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad she said that because that's what got me out. And that's when I started my acupuncture business. And as, as you know, many entrepreneurs have ADHD because we like to do all of the tasks and have all the freedom and not be defined by this check-in and, um, what, what corporate life looks like. So if I had forced myself to stay in corporate life and had taken whatever measures would be needed to have that happen, I, I would be much less successful and a lot less happy. I, I love that. The first off, you got, you got a prescription for entrepreneurship. <laughs> yes. That's great. But yes, the idea, any, any job you have to be medicated to, to function. And I mean, unless it's like super soldier. <laughs> you know, like if, if you're supposed to be uh, Steve Rogers, then he had to be medicated to function and his job is superhero. Um, but short of that, unless the medication actually gives you like super strength or the ability to throw metal shields. Um, yeah. Any, if you need medication, whether it's actual medication or self-medication to function in a job, that could be a sign that you're in the wrong place. 
which is not to say that, you know, I haven't tried medication or that medication doesn't help some people do the job that they're happy doing. It was just that that job I could not do within it. So yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's like the difference between parties aren't fun if I don't drink and I like going to parties and I enjoy them more when I drink. Mm-hmm. And and so, I think, yeah. 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 Like one is a little boost on something that already works. And the other is like, this is broken. Let me see if I can bring it up to standard with some pills. I'm going to force myself through. Yeah. Yep. Muscle through. Cause that's how people do things. And for me, I, I also got an ADHD coach. I, hmm. I um, went to tomato soup for breakfast and she walked me through some of the support things that, that can help us. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yep. Like body doubling and um, mapping out time and, and in, you might not know, but um, uh, even looking at hormones for women over, over 50. Mm, yep. Yep. So, well, and I, and there's definitely all kinds of health factors that go into it besides just the neurology there, there can be nutritional factors. There can be environmental factors. Um, I imagine even for men, there may be hormonal factors and other, other things. Um, men have the benefit that I think we're fairly linear in our structure. Whereas women, like every, every 10 or 20 years, you go through like a complete re reboot, a new patch comes out, you get a new version, new operating system version, and you got to figure out which functions work and which don't. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you right around 50, it's, it's, it, it is, it's kind of a roller coaster. And then the roller coaster just goes down. <laughs> So, so like when, when Windows 8 came out, it's kind of analogous to that. <laughs> I guess so, yes. You were forced to install Windows 8 in your body. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's some glitches. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to wait for the patch to come out, right? That's the thing, right? Isn't that kind of what an acupuncturist does is, is like download patches into the faulty operating system? Oh, it's kind of... I mean, you would, you would think that because of the needles, right. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of electrical, right. We think it's, there's a lot of metaphors, but I think what we really do is we just try to bring people back to homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So whatever, whatever that means, if they're too hyper, then we try to bring down the the cortisol. And if they're just a limp noodle, then we try to bring, bring back the things that will bring them energy. Hmm. Right. All right. Well, so besides the three ways to find your funny, which we've mentioned, people need to look in the show notes and get the link there and clicky on it and get that and get their own funny. Is there any final thoughts you would like to share with our audience as we come to the end of our time? As an acupuncturist and a healer, I really believe comedy is good for everybody and everybody can do comedy in one form or another. Um, You don't have to be a professional comedian. Um, You don't have to even get on stage. Uh, Finding your funny means you get to be more confident and you get to enjoy people and take yourself a little less seriously, which is a good time for everybody. Awesome. That's a great parting message. Thank you so much for being on the show and being part of the Neurodiversity Superpower Show. Happy to be here. Thank you, Michael. This has been the Neurodiversity Superpowers Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Sign up to get every episode at neurodiversitysuperpowers.me. Join our Facebook group on facebook.com slash groups slash neurodiversity superpowers. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.